Chapter Twenty Eight of A Man of Honor by George Carey Eggleston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight. Major Pagebrook asserts himself. It now becomes necessary to a proper understanding of this history that we shall go back a day or two to the day, in fact, on which Robert's letters were received at Shirley. I said there were three New York letters in the mailbag thrown off at the courthouse that morning. The third letter there referred to was from the law firm of Steel, Flint, and Sharp. It was addressed to Edwin Pagebrook, Esquire, and quite by accident it fell into that gentleman's hands. I say by accident because cousin Sarah Ann had taken unusual precautions to prevent precisely this result. After writing to the lawyers, it occurred to that estimable lady that a reply would come in due time, and that as she had taken the liberty of signing her husband's name to her letter, the reply would be addressed to him rather than to her, and she greatly feared that he would have an opportunity to read it. She particularly wished that this should not happen. She knew her mild-mannered and long-suffering husband thoroughly, and while she felt free to torment him in various ways, she had learned, from one or two bits of experience, that it was not the part of wisdom to tax his endurance too far. Accordingly, she took pains to prevent him from visiting the courthouse while she was expecting the letter. She laid various plans for the purpose of keeping him occupied in the plantation every day, and took care to secure the first look into the family post-bag whenever the servant returned with it. On the morning in question, however, as Major Pagebrook was riding over his plantation inspecting work, he met a neighbor who was going to the courthouse, and having some small matters to attend to there, he determined to join the neighbor in his ride. Upon his arrival he called for his letters, and so it came about that the note in which Messrs. Steele, Flint, and Sharp begged to inform him of Robert's arrest, in accordance with his instructions, fell into his hands. At first he was puzzled and thought there must have been some mistake, but after a while a glimmering of the truth dawned upon him and in his smothered way he was exceedingly angry. He had condemned Robert's misconduct as severely as anybody, but had never dreamed of proceeding to harsh measures in the matter. Besides, it was only the day before that Robert's remittance of one hundred dollars had come to him, and in acknowledging its receipt he had partially satisfied his resentment by telling his cousin what he thought of him, and to learn now that the young man was in jail for the fault, and apparently at his behest, was sorely displeasing to him. And worse than all, his wife had taken an unwarrantable liberty in the affair, and this he determined to resent. He mounted his horse, therefore, and was on the point of starting homeward when Dr. Harrison accosted him. "'Good morning, Major Pagebrook. May I speak to you a moment?' "'Good morning, Charles.' 
Has there been any administrator appointed for Ewing's estate? No, not yet. I reckon I must take out papers next court day, as he was of age when he died. It's only a matter of form, I reckon, as there are no debts. Well, my only reason for asking is I hold Ewing's note for $225. I'm in no hurry, only I wanted to act regularly and get it in shape by presenting it. You have Ewing's note? Why, what is it for? asked Major Pagebrook in astonishment. Borrowed money, answered the doctor. Borrowed money? But how did he come to borrow it? Well, the fact is Ewing got to playing bluff with Foggy one day just before he got sick, and Foggy fleeced him pretty badly, and I lent him the money to pay out with. He didn't want to owe it to Foggy, you know. "'Have you the note with you?' asked Major Pagebrook. "'No, it's in my office, but I can get it if you'd like to look at it.' "'No, it's no matter, if you can tell me the date.' "'It bears date November 19th, I think.' "'Just one day after he came of age.' said Major Pagebrook. "'Well, I'll see about it, Charles.' And with this the two gentlemen separated. Major Pagebrook rode homeward, meditating upon the occurrences of the morning. He had determined to manage his own business hereafter without tolerating improper interference upon the part of his wife, and he was in position to do this, too, except with regard to the home plantation which, as Ewing had informed Robert, was held in Cousin Sarah Ann's name. Major Pagebrook was a quiet man and a long-suffering one. He liked nothing so much as peace, and to keep the peace he had always yielded to the more aggressive nature of his wife. But he felt now that the time had come for him to assert his supremacy in business matters, and he determined to assert it very quietly but very positively. One point was as good as another, he thought, for the purpose, and this newly discovered debt of Ewing's gave him an excellent occasion for the self-assertion upon which he had resolved. Several times of late he had mildly suggested to Cousin Sarah Ann the propriety of putting Ewing's papers into Billy Barksdale's hands for examination so that the boy's affairs might be properly and legally adjusted. To every such suggestion Cousin Sarah Ann, who carried the key of Ewing's portable desk, had turned a deaf ear, saying that there were no debts one way or the other, and that she wouldn't have anybody overhauling the poor boy's private papers. Now, however, Major Pagebrook had made up his mind to put the desk into Billy's hands without asking the excellent lady's consent. "'Don't take my horse, Jim,' he said to his servant upon arriving at home. "'I am going to ride again presently. Just tie him to the rack till I want him.' Going into the house, he met Cousin Sarah Ann, to whom he said, 
Sarah Ann, I will write my own letters and attend to my own business hereafter, and I'll thank you not to sign my name for me again. You have placed me in a very awkward position, and I can't explain it to anybody without exposing you. Understand me now, please. I will not tolerate any such interference in future. Ordinarily, Cousin Sarah Ann would have been ready enough with a reply to such a remark as this, but just now she was fairly frightened by her husband's tone and manner. She saw at a glance that he was in a very serious earnest, and she knew him well enough to know that it would not do to provoke him further. She was always afraid of him, even when she was riding roughshod over him. When he seemed most submissive and she most aggressive, she was in the habit of scanning his countenance very carefully, as an engineer watches his steam gauge. When she saw steam rising, she usually had the safety valve, a flood of tears, ready for immediate use. Just now she saw indications of an explosion which appalled her and she dared not face the danger for a moment. Without reply, therefore, she sank, weeping, into the nearest chair, while her husband walked into her room, opened her wardrobe, and took from it the little desk in which his son's letters and papers were locked. Coming back to her, he said, "'I will take the key to this desk, if you please.' She looked up with a frightened countenance and asked, "'What for?' "'I want to open the desk.' "'What are you going to do with it?' "'I'm going to put it into my lawyer's hands.' "'Wait, then. I must look over the papers first. "'No, Billy will do that.' "'But there's some of mine in it, private ones.' "'It doesn't matter. Billy will sort them and return yours to you.' "'But he shan't look at my papers.' "'Give me the key, Sarah Ann.' "'I can't. It's lost.' "'Very well, then,' said he, taking his knife from his pocket, breaking the frail lock, and walking out of the house without another word. Cousin Sarah Ann was thoroughly overcome. She knew that her husband had received the reply to her letter, which she had meant to receive herself, and she knew, too, that her mastery over him was at an end, for the present at least. Worse than all, she knew that the desk and its contents would inevitably go into Billy Barksdale's hands and she had her own reasons for thinking this the sorest affliction possible to her. There was no help for it now, however, and she could do nothing except throw herself on her bed and shed tears of bitter mortification, vexation, and dread. Meanwhile, Major Pagebrook galloped over to Shirley with the desk under his arm. The conversation already reported between Billy and Miss Sudie was hardly more than finished when he dismounted and walked into the young lawyer's office. He opened his business by telling Billy about the note held by Dr. Harrison. 
"'I don't understand it,' he said. "'Harrison says the note is dated November 19th, which was just one day after Ewing came of age, and I remember that Ewing was taken sick on the morning of his birthday, very sick, as you know, and never left his bed afterwards.' "'When was Ewing at the courthouse last?' asked Billy. "'Not since the day Robert left.' did he owe harrison any money that you know of no but harrison says foggy won that much from him and he had to borrow to pay it you are sure however that ewing could not possibly have had a chance to sign the note after he came of age of course he couldn't he was delirious from the very first and we never left him i think i see how it is said billy foggy and charlie harrison are too intimate for any straight dealings i reckon charlie was as deeply interested in the winnings as foggy was but they have made ewing execute the note to charlie for money borrowed to pay foggy with so that it would be legally good they made him date it ahead too so that it would appear to have been executed after Ewing came of age. They didn't anticipate his sickness, and they haven't thought to compare dates. I think we can beat them this time, when they get ready to sue. "'But we mustn't let them sue, Billy,' said Major Pagebrook. "'I would never consent to plead the Baby Act, or to get out of it by any legal quibble, if the signature is genuine, as I reckon it is. That wouldn't be honorable. No, I shall pay the note off, and I only want to know whether I must charge it to Ewing's estate or not, after taking out administration papers. If I can, I ought to, in justice to the other children. If I can't, I must pay it myself. Look into it, please and let me know about it. I have brought you Ewing's desk, so you can look over all his papers and attend to all his affairs for me. I want to get everything straight." So saying, he took his leave. End of chapter 28